Chapter 3. Fall of the Wall of Arkans. The Wall of Arkans stands over the jungle trees in the west, stretching over 50 miles long. It serves as a division between the land of Abolition and the Kingdom of Bursh. Sixteen watchtowers are set up on the wall between the great sea that surrounds Azurus and the mountains of Dewey. Thirty-two barracks support the Wall of Arkans with its men. Dwarves, elves, and humans unitedly serve the Kingdom of Bursh here by defending its border from goblin marauders. You have a pretty impressive resume here, son. It even states you attended the prestigious School of Bursh, General Hopkins points out. The young man just smiles as the general continues to look over it. The general is a tall man, about six feet three, with broad shoulders and a thick gray mustache. He wears the same burgundy beret and jacket everyone else does. Pinned to the general's jacket is a gold circular pendant with a dragon inside it, and on the dragon's eye a white stone is embedded symbolizing his rank. It also brings out here that you are already an expert marksman and swordsman and that you have finished top in your class? The general hesitates in disbelief. I asked them not to write that, the young man exclaims, standing just above the general's shoulder at five feet ten with shaggy brown hair and a mild tan. And why would you ask that? The general questions him further. It's irrelevant. How so? The only thing that matters is that I do my job, sir. The general pauses, pondering over his next question. Why did you request to be assigned here? With your resume, you could easily be a guard for the capital in no time. That would have been a tedious and strict schedule, he replies with all seriousness. General Hopkins burst out in laughter. Two last things. It notes here your name is Reuben, but it gives no last name. I wasn't given one, Reuben answers simply. It also says you're a graduate with the School of Knighthood, so where's your pen? I didn't feel it was earned, so I refused to take it from the headmaster. Well, welcome aboard, Private, General Hopkins expresses warmly. Thank you, sir. After scaling the stairs leading up to the top of the wall, General Hopkins begins to speak again. This is the Wall of Arkans. It must, and I can't stress this enough... It must be watched at all times in case of goblin attacks. Reuben looks down the eastern, goblin-facing side of the wall. How deep is the jungle? The jungle reaches the Great Sea and covers the entire land of Abolition, General Hopkins answers with a cowl. All you need to know is if you see a goblin, kill it. There isn't much more to it than that. Seems easy enough, Reuben states. General Hopkins begins to grin. Too easy for you? There's a reason why this place does get very many new recruits, you know. Reuben rolls his eyes at him, unamused, raising an eyebrow in the process. Oh, and this is your commander, Levi Letkins. He was also top of his class three years ago. But unlike you, he graduated. Now, he's being transferred to the capital to become a royal guard for the council. He'll be training you for the next two weeks. If you're lucky, you'll get some good experience in before he leaves. Oh, and training starts tomorrow. Commander Letkins is a well-built elf. A fellow elf may even consider him buff. With light brown hair and of similar height to that of the general, below average height for an elf, though. 
as a commander, he has a steel pin decorated with a blue gem in the center, a symbol of his rank as commander. We'll be having a meeting at the towers tomorrow at noon. Goblins don't see well during the day, so that's when we have all of our meetings, Letkins adds. Anyways, be here tomorrow at sunrise. Reuben straightens up, putting his hand to his side, acknowledging his first issued command. Both commanders begin hiking back up the north wall, leaving Reuben standing by himself. He takes a step closer to the edge, and once again looks over, gazing into the seemingly endless jungle before him. As he peers down the wall, he can perceive what seem to be several eyes staring back at him. Whether they are goblins or something else, he doesn't know, but whatever they are, he can sense their lust for blood in the air. Reuben, come on. I need to take you to your quarters, Commander Letkins calls back to him. Sorry, sir, Reuben responds. You can't see anything down there. There's nothing to see down there, just goblins and skookums, Letkins explains. Skookum? Reuben asks. They're large, ape-like creatures that are extremely ferocious and agile. Few people have ever seen one, but many have been taken right over the wall by them, Letkins pauses. I see, Reuben acknowledges. So no one knows what they really look like, and no one wants to know either. All we have are some ancient drawings from before the wall was built, the general adds further before parting ways with them. After a long stroll on top of the northern part of the wall, they come to a series of stairs that leads down to the kingdom-facing side of the wall. This portion of the wall stands well over the tallest trees of the jungle. Unfortunately, that doesn't stop the vines from climbing up the wall. Continuing down the stairs, clouds roll in and it begins to mist. Towns and cities stand far in the distance, barely visible with the oncoming clouds. An entire day has passed since Reuben first arrived, and they are only now making their way back down the wall. Reaching the ground, Reuben notices several barracks with their lights on, despite the increasing hour. Now that the sun is setting, the barracks become more lively as the soldiers awaken to fill their posts. To the left of the barracks lies a horse stable with a small number of horses kept inside. Commander Letkins opens the door to one of the barracks. This is where you'll be staying, the door creaks open, and everyone turns toward Reuben. Who's the new recruit? one of the men asks. The name's Reuben. Don't have a last name, Reuben? Another one prods him for information. Nope, it's just Reuben. I was raised in an orphanage, so I was never given a last name. I just have the first. Commander Letkins clears his throat. Enough of that. This here is Than. A dark-skinned dwarf with black curly hair and a thick scruffy beard stands to attention answering the call. These two are Joel and Jared. Two men stand up. Each of them is of average height with a slim build and shaggy blonde hair. They are identical except that Joel has a deep red scar across his right eye, and Jared does not. This big guy is Roland. Roland stands up, hitting the lamp above his head, almost blowing out the flame. He stands at 6 feet 6, is well over 400 pounds of pure muscle, easily towering over everyone else there. He's also my second in command, and in case you've forgotten, I'm Commander Levi Letkins. You can either call me Commander... Commander Letkins or Sir? Yes, sir, Reuben agrees, knowing he's just following protocol. 
We take turns watching the third post from the south, from three hours before dawn until midnight when the second barracks takes over. It also needs to be watched during any other times of slight darkness, Roland adds, hoping to shed some light on the job. Which means it's your barracks watch, Letkins commands, annoyed that he has to point it out. On our way, sir, Roland answers in a panicked state. Joel shoves his shoes on and begins to run easily the first out the door. On his way out, he grabs one of the six clockwork crossbows and a quiver of bolts leaned up against the wall. The others scramble to keep up, grabbing different weapons as they leave. Get some rest, soldier. You start at sunrise. Don't forget, Commander Letkins reminds him, turning toward the door and leaving. Yes, sir, Reuben confirms. The next day flies by in a daze, and then the week does the same. Before Reuben knows it, Roland is being promoted to commander, and Commander Letkins is getting transferred to Bursch, the kingdom's capital. Even though a few months have gone by since arriving, he still has no idea what a goblin even looks like. Despite his growing uncertainty in their existence and threat in Azurus, he keeps a watchful eye on the wall, knowing full well that something is down there. At one point in history, goblin attacks were regular and defenses were needed. It's been almost eight years now since a goblin was even seen in Bursch. But as a precaution, they continue to keep the wall under watch during the night to ease the mind of the council and the people. It's become a joke among the men that Bursch only employs soldiers here as a way to keep them in service, not because of any real threat. Two years of watching the wall and the jungle on the other pass, until one night, everything changes as the war horn blows. Reuben jumps out of bed and throws on his uniform, a burgundy double-breasted jacket with matching pants and beret. The padded jacket protects against slicing attacks while allowing for increased movement. Quickly grabbing his crossbow and short sword, he heads for the Wall of Arkans with the rest of his barrack right behind him. Each of them grabs their gear and runs out the door, trying to keep up. Nearly every nearby man and woman rushes in toward the wall with them, a flood of soldiers ready to defend their kingdom. Wham! The ground and wall shake at the sound, sending a few soldiers stumbling. Thud! Reuben stops before the staircase and looks towards the wall in front of them. His crew stop beside him making an odd line of misfits as they stare at the wall of Arkans in disbelief. Crack! A huge, zigzagging line spreads up the wall, not stopping until a brick pops off the top, landing on the ground before them. Bam! And the wall comes crashing down in front of them. A massive troll stands on the other side of the crumbling wall, holding an entire battering ram in his hands like a club. Quickly, they realize that was what he has been using to break the wall into pieces. The troll is dark green and well over eight feet tall, with a row of black hair starting on his head and going down his back. Behind him, three dozen goblins and half a dozen ogres follow, all armed with jagged swords, dull axes, and large maces and clubs. Each wears the tinted goggles seen at the Battle of Castle Days ten years prior to protect their eyes from the sun. One of the goblins notices Reuben, who is still standing there, skeptical of what has just happened, and lunges toward him. 
Quickly, he draws an arrow and clicks it into the crossbow and fires, hitting the goblin in the head. Joel and Jared do the same, hitting an ogre and another goblin. Swarms of goblins turn their head to the seemingly small group of soldiers. Rushing to face them, goblins sprint forward, the wall behind them crumbling in three other locations as more hordes of goblins join the fight. Reuben turns to run, knowing that the odds are stacked against them, while his two companions crank back the levers in their crossbows, trying to load another quiver of bolts. But it's too late. Their ground is suddenly swallowed up by the swarm of tinted green demons, leaving neither alive for long. Look out! Than shouts, blocking an attacking goblin with his shield. Pushing back, he sends the unsuspecting goblin hurling to the side. Together, Reuben and Than begin running toward a nearby horse stable in hopes of finding something faster than themselves. Goblins can sprint at speeds of over 30 miles per hour. Realizing this, Reuben and Than don't bother turning around and see how far they are. While making their way to the stable, Than spots a group of reserves, 30 men riding their way on the mighty warhorses of Bursch. Each horse wears a metal helmet with a single horn protruding from the center. Blinders stand out from the sides to focus their vision forward. A padded blanket lies across their back, hindering physical blows. The riders wear a large shield on their back, protecting both themselves and their horses from projectiles. The cavalry's here, Than yells out in excitement, turning back to charge. No, Than, we need to go, Reuben yells, grabbing Than's shoulder. I will stay and fight these maggots, Than quickly replies, lifting his axe in the air. Fear paints the faces of each and every man as the cavalry passes the two soldiers of Bursch, heading straight for the horde of goblins. Than and Reuben turn for a moment to watch. The same troll that broke down the wall picks up his battering ram and hurls it as if it were a javelin. Four of the cavalry riders are crushed by the throw as all remaining men are enveloped in a mass of angry goblins. Than looks back to Reuben, fear echoing that of the lost cavaliers. Both turn for the third time and begin running back toward the stables. Reuben runs not out of cowardice, but out of wisdom. Thousands of goblins were hardly something the Wall of Arkans was prepared for. Urgently, he picks up the dwarf and tosses him onto a horse before leaping onto another. Making their way south, they watch as one of the nearest towns catches fire. Glancing behind them, they see their comrades falling left and right along with barracks, stables, and storehouses. Only a few moments later and everything behind them are brought to ruin. Three nearby towns are burning with fire, and they can only imagine how the northern end of the wall is faring. It's a long ride to the nearest town. Neither of them had the opportunity to properly saddle the horses. Smoke rises in the air as the goblins burn everything involved in the attack. If Reuben and Than are going to make the trip to Bursch, the capital of the kingdom of Bursch, they are going to need some supplies from the nearest town of Seacrest. Three days mark the journey from the now-destroyed Wall of Arkans to the coastal town of Seacrest. Berries and a few rabbits are all they can find to stave off their hunger. Seacrest lies near the Great Sea, a beautiful town known for its fishing exports and trade. People there are known to have a fair amount of trade with the merfolk. 
despite the fact that mermen of the race despise the inferior landlocked humans. Reuben, Than panics. What is it? Reuben asks in response. Look there, Than elaborates, pointing to the sky above the town. Reuben stops his horse, searching the horizon's sky, only to focus on a streak of gray bellowing up from where the town of Seacrest lies in front of them. We need to hurry. Goblins shouldn't have reached Seacrest yet. We're on the quickest route there. We need to see if anyone survived the attack or fire or whatever is happening down there, Reuben states as he helps Than back on his horse before leaping onto his own. Upon their arrival, they can see the once bustling town, now a barren and smoking collage of buildings. Everywhere they look, they see the bodies of the townspeople. A mix of elves, dwarves, and fawns can be seen butchered across the town. The, the goblins couldn't have made it this far, could they? Than asked Reuben, with a sad and worried face. I truly doubt it, Reuben responds kindly, wanting to believe it to be impossible, but doubting himself. They even dismount their horse, and the two of them begin searching through the wreckage of the town, their long ride making them bow-legged in their slow shuffle. Searching desperately for a clue or anything to explain what has happened here, they continue onward. Reuben, look at this! Than waves from around the corner as he lifts a three-pronged spear from the ground. A trident! What's a trident doing here? Reuben asks rhetorically. Studying the weapon, Than puts his hand across his mouth. Get down, Than whispers, pulling Reuben down to the ground. Play dead! Two men strut by, both with an unmistakable fin on their backs. Humans are so weak, one of them snickers. Yeah, but they make great slaves with their miserably short lives. Right? I'm telling you, dragons put humans on Whitner to serve us, not themselves. Their shark teeth show as they grin. It's unfortunate that all the others stood up for those animals. If they hadn't, we wouldn't have had to kill them. But no, when we told them that they could go and that we just wanted the humans, they rose to their defense. Now they're dead, and we're still 300 slaves richer, the man smirks. Reuben opens his eyes, about to get up, but can't when he sees the face of a dead fawn lying next to him. It's too late anyways. By the time he even thought of moving, Than has gotten up and sprints towards the two men. In two quick moves, he has thrown his shield, hitting one of them in the back of the head, knocking him out, and sweeping his axe under the other, bringing him to the ground, crushing his back fin as he lands. Holding the axe to the man's throat, Than can see his gills flare. He now has no doubt that this is the work of the merfolk. What do you want? the merman mutters. Tell me, why did you destroy this town? Than demands, fire in his eyes. Why would I tell a landlubber such as yourself? The merman challenges, grinning and showing off his teeth. You're absolutely right, Than agrees sarcastically. I was going to skin you and fry you up regardless. Really? Eat me? That's the best you've got? We hunt sharks for food, he laughs, pretending not to be frightened. Than presses the axe further against him. Do you ever skin them alive? He asks, calling his bluff. Gulp. The merman stares at Than, a bit more convinced now that his life is in jeopardy. We are here to assist the goblins in overthrowing Birch. They promised us all the human slaves we wanted and tons of gold to the goblins. Wait, who's they? Reuben stands up, running toward the merman. 
I don't know. Do I look like Poseidon? He mocks as he rolls his eyes. I don't think he is of any more use to us. Than lifts his axe from the merman's neck. You're letting us live? The merman says, surprised after all the bloodshed. We are not monsters, Reuben shouts back. We will see about that, the merman replies, picking up his comrade and hastily running toward the sea. Soon both disappear into the waves of the ocean. Than sits down on a boulder, overwhelmed with everything going on. What do we do now, he fumes, beginning to tear up in anger. We stay calm. They didn't attack this town because of its military force. They attacked it to get to us. Seacrest was a safe haven for all the allied races to stay. They must need us to become enraged and attack them, Reuben guesses, placing his hand gently on Than's shoulder trying to calm him. For now, let's grab some supplies, then we'll head to the capital to warn the Council of Elders. Than deeply sighs and then straightening up, okay, I can do that. Total losses. Goblins, 270. Merfolk, 22. Human elves, dwarves, and fawns, 1,263. All the soldiers stationed at the Wall of Arkans and the surrounding towns. Battles. The Wall of Arkans fall and the destruction of the town of Seacrest. Reuben and Than are the only survivors to both, although an unknown number of humans are taken as slaves by the merfolk. Thank you for listening to Legends of Azurus, written by Corey E. Slane. If you'd like content, consider buying a physical copy via Amazon or Barnes & Noble online. Thank you for listening, and tune in next time for the next chapter of Legends of Azurus.